Before we dive into the dumpster fire that is not another Baptist podcast, we are aware as this is airing that some major news has come out of New Orleans. And so Kyle, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this past week on Tuesday, Dr. Kelly announced his retirement effective at the end of the 2018-2019 uh, academic year. And he's retiring as president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And so clearly, after coming on our show, he, he realized that's the pinnacle of his career. He has nothing else. Uh, there, there's, there's no way to top coming on Not Another Baptist Podcast. And he decided now's the time to ride off into the sunset. Nearly 50 years of ministry in one place. Yeah, wow. And you think, you think that this is a highlight of all of it? Oh, is there any question? I think you're insane. <laughs> Kick the jingle off. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two knucklehead pastors are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of May Hill Baptist Church, and I'm joined by... I'm Kyle Bierman, pastor of First Baptist Church in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And we are grateful for the Christian Standard Bible supporting this podcast and partnering with us because we're grateful also for that translation. We both use it in our devotional times and in our preaching and are grateful for a translation that is both accurate and readable. And uh, we commend it to you and ask that you visit csbible.com after the show to learn more about it. Now, we like to call this thing a train wreck, yes, Kyle. It's true. And that's often because of me or you. But true. sometimes God so graciously gives our leaders a treat to maybe alleviate the train wreck side yep. of things and bring somebody in here that actually knows what they're talking about it's true. to You're make this, this podcast worth listening to. Sure. And we have someone like that today, I believe. We do. Today we're joined by Dr. Chuck Kelly, the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show with us. It's my privilege. Awesome. Well, brother, could you first tell us about you and your family so we can kind of get to know who you are? Sounds good. My wife is Rhonda. And it is just the two of us. God chose not to give us children. And as we found out we were not going to be able to have kids, we were preparing for adoption. And the Lord just intervened and said, no, I've chosen not to give you children because I have other responsibilities for you both. And I want your ministry to children to be investment in other people's children and your life to be around my work. So we have a very unusual situation, uh, but we're very happy together with the two of us and if you come to our home you'll see lots and lots of kids pictures on our refrigerator door wow that's amazing um now you you've served at uh, new orleans baptist theological seminary for how long now my story is a very sad story fellas uh, i came in 1975 to do the three-year mdiv program but they put me in the slow learner track. So I'm still here uh, since 1975 and have never left. Uh -oh. I did two degrees here. I joined the faculty immediately after graduation and then 23 years ago became president. Wow. wow, that is incredible. Southwestern just kind of pushed me out. Like as soon as I got the yeah. degree, they said, get they, out. They, they made sure you were not sticking around. Come back. Right. Yes. In fact, the last time <laughs> I was there, I got a parking ticket. So. <laughs> 
Well, I'm part of their damage control program. They just thought if they could keep me here and keep an eye on me, it would minimize the damage I would do in the wider world. Yeah, well, <laughs> well perfect. Well, you know, certainly being in New Orleans has a uh, different flair for, for maybe some of the areas that we are around. And, and I know that a few years ago, several years now, there was Hurricane Katrina. Could you tell us a little bit about navigating everything that happened during and maybe after Hurricane Katrina. How did you grow spiritually and, and perhaps in your leadership ability during that time? It was an overwhelming experience. I learned the difference between catastrophic experiences and trouble. And it was truly a catastrophic experience in every measure of the term. 70% of the city, whole city of New Orleans, uh, underwater for weeks, 70% or so of our campus uh, underwater. We had $75 million in damage to the campus. It was a month before the mayor even opened our end of New Orleans for people to come back. Uh, overwhelming experience in just a lot of different ways, lots and lots of stories. I guess if I were to say one of the most important lessons that I learned in that whole Katrina experience is do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. I could have never imagined nor conceived any problem, crisis, difficulty as overwhelming and consuming as Katrina was. It was beyond my ability to comprehend. But when we got there, we found out that God was not nervous or scared, that God was there and ready, and that he would carry us through. And so my most vivid memories of Katrina are the manifestations of God's grace and God's mercy. So my most important lesson is do not be afraid. The second lesson that I learned is the ability God has by his grace to change everything without changing anything. So when the mayor finally opened our part of New Orleans, our wonderful godly contractor said, I can give you four days for people to come back and salvage anything they can. And then I have to have the whole campus for the, a year. It's going to take a year to fix it. And for those four days, uh, our family, seminary family, came back. And it was just the most gut-wrenching, emotional days uh, of my life. And my job was circulating around to the various families as they came and making them drink water because it was brutally hot. Everybody's wearing hazmat suits. Uh, very tough. And they were concerned about keeping people hydrated. I just finished up my ministry with one sweet precious couple I get emotional just thinking about that moment with them I think they salvaged like a shoebox of stuff wow. and I was walking back to my golf cart and my radio went off guard the front gate said Dr. Kelly please can you go back to the back of the campus and the state apartment buildings I said yes I just finished I'll go back right away what's happening they said well Dr. Kelly a number of our Korean students live in those apartments back there and many of them just arrived uh, and they're taking everything really hard. Those apartments had six to eight feet of water uh, of flooding in them, just terrible, terrible damage. I said, okay, I'm on my way. I hadn't taken four or five steps when my radio went off again, and the guard station said, Dr. Kelly, forget it. Uh, go do whatever you're going to do. You don't need to go back there anymore. I said, what happened? They said, well, the Korean disaster relief team just showed up. Wow. wow. I said, the Korean disaster relief team? I never heard of the Korean disaster relief team. They said, we haven't either, but they just showed up and asked if there was anything they could do to help, and we sent them back to work with our Korean students. Wow. In, in that moment, nothing changed. 
we still had a devastated campus. We still had heartbreaking, gut-wrenching loss. We were all still homeless. Nothing changed. But in that moment, everything changed. Because God said, I am here. And I will see you through. So those are two of the most important lessons that I've learned. Wow. Um, so obviously, I mean, Katrina was a, um, a, a monumental moment in the life of um, New Orleans Seminary. But other than, other than Katrina, what's been a challenge that, that you or, or the seminary has faced where, where you can look back on this side of it now and say, wow, thank you, God, for your mercy and for your provision? Oh, gosh. Just, you know, when you live in a city like this, uh, it's just always a challenge. And uh, I think of uh, having to deal with uh, personal tragedies, uh, deaths on the campus. When we had uh, one uh, professor, uh, an elderly professor who was actually a contract teaching for us one summer who literally passed away in a classroom uh, and having to deal with that. We had another situation with a, a professor who committed suicide on the first day of class. And you see these personal human dramas that are very challenging and very difficult but you see how God walks us through as the body of Christ and just getting up under it together uh, and carrying that burden then the seminary through its whole history has had all sorts of financial challenges when you are a Baptist entity in a place that is completely non-Baptist you're just going to have an interesting road uh, never before as a Southern Baptist convention and not since established an entity in a place where there was not a base of churches. Never happened. There were fewer than 10 churches in the whole New Orleans area, wow. 10 Baptist churches whenever we were started as a seminary. Uh, and that's extremely unusual. So we've been living in the midst of a completely different world, different uh, way of living, different rhythm of life, different food, different languages. I mean, it's just an unbelievable time. So things that affect everybody have affected us very deeply. The Great Depression had a tremendous effect on us, the Great Recession. So one of the more recent things was during the Great Recession that we faced a, a real financial challenge when the cooperative program uh, took a nosedive during the Great Recession and we were told without very little notice that CP budget was going to change. And as we looked at how we were going to deal with that, uh, watching God, I, I remember I made a knockdown prayer list and I said, here's a list of things, uh, some financial needs that we have, that if God doesn't answer and deliver us with these things, that we're going to have to make some very tough choices. And I'll never forget, I passed those cards out to our faculty at faculty prayer meeting. Our faculty still to this day gathers every teaching day at 745 to pray and uh, read a bit of the word together before we go out and teach our classes. I passed that out. and watching what happened. We had a timeline on when we had to see an answer to those prayers. And every one of those requests were answered within the time. They were all initiated by people contacting me. I did not initiate a contact with anybody. And I'll never forget the last one came when a sweet uh, donor family who was visiting in our home said, am I too late to do something on that prayer list I heard you have? And I said, well, no, you're, you're not too late and just watching God do that deliverance. I would say a third thing is doing seminary training in maximum security prisons. 
and we started going into the largest max prison in the United States, largest gathering of violent people uh, in the whole nation, uh, long known as the bloodiest prison in America, uh, about uh, 22, 23 years ago, and watching what happened as we began taking a little small group of inmates who had gotten their lives right with God, God was working in their hearts, and we started teaching them how to be ministers. Well, the challenges in those circumstances in every kind of way are just absolutely immense. But we watch God take the life and the witness and the ministry of those guys and transform the whole culture of that prison. Our first graduation, we had 17 guys who had finished their Bachelor of Christian Ministry degree. The warden leaned over to me during the graduation and said, Dr. Kelly, everybody uh, that you give a diploma to today has killed at least one person. Wow. And you say, wow, we had a short commencement address that day, I'm telling you, but <laughs> you just say, what What in the world is God up to? But when you looked at their faces, never forget, God had so transformed the, the joy just burst out of their faces. And watching the interaction of those inmates with family members they were invited, were able to invite to come to the graduation ceremony just very, very precious. So we've watched God do works of uh, financial provision. We've watched God do works of personal uh, transition and transformation. We've watched God do amazing things through the years. That's incredible. What I mean, just kind of in awe of all of it. And I love being able to look back on on my life, and I'm sure Kyle would say the same, and, and these things that you've shared, and look at you, you can kind of look back in hindsight and see everything that God was was doing each and every part of the way and be able to say that in, in some sense, the best thing that I can ever learn to do is just get out of the way, uh, get out of the way. Well, I was, I was uh, checking into a hotel late one night, two ladies were behind the desk checking me in and my phone rang and I looked and it was my wife. So I took the call and I said, hello, gorgeous. That's how I answer all my telephone calls from her. I said, hello, gorgeous. And I, uh, we chatted for just a moment. I told her I was checking in and would call her back in a couple of minutes. And when I turned back around to the ladies at the desk, they were both smiling at me. And they said, well, that was very cute. And I said, well, if you knew my wife, you would know it's not only cute, it's spectacular. God gave me an amazing woman to be my wife. And one of the ladies said, you know, that's the kind of thing that my husband used to say to me. Mm. And I said, well, ma'am, you used to pass tense. I said, what's happened? She said, well, my husband died six months ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am so sorry to hear that. She said, yeah, we were up in the Dakotas working in the oil field uh, and he died and his job was the only thing keeping us there. And I said, so did you come back home uh, after your husband's death? She said, yes, that's why I'm here and this is my new job. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, ma'am, uh, I'm going straight up to my hotel room and I'm gonna pray for you immediately when I get to my hotel room tonight, but I want to tell you something before I go. I know you've got things going on uh, behind the desk, but I just want to say this. The greatest surprise that I've ever had about what God's grace does is that the greatest, most profound experiences of God that I've ever had, my Hall of Fame moments with God, my incredible experiences of grace and health every single one of them has come on one of the worst days of my life. Mm -hmm. And I learned the amazing power that God has to redeem. 
not to keep trouble away because everybody has trouble but not to be afraid of trouble because when it comes whatever it is God can take the worst day of your life and find a way to make it one of the most memorable best days of your life Amen. and that's what I've just seen time and time again we're going to make a hard detour from from all of that um, you sure. you pride yourself it it seems in in between evangelism and this these are two things that I think you do so well and I admire you for but you pride yourself it seems in diversity when it comes to theological positions of professors or chapel speakers and and so forth at New Orleans Baptist uh, Theological Seminary and uh, why why do you think that is important well let me give you another word to use rather than diversity I would say use the word conversation <laughs> and this is the word that we use around here here at NOBTS we do conversations we think it's very important for our students to learn how to interact and build relationships with people who have strongly different convictions than they do uh, we live in a world that is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly hostile to the gospel. Uh, we're all going, and our students, we know, we, you know, we try to tell them, I don't care what your ministry is, you're going to have uh, conflict in relationships. That's just a part of life. There's no way to avoid it. So the important thing you have to learn to do uh, is learn how do you have conversations and how do you build relationships with people that you deeply disagree with. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one thing you're probably talking about, for many years we've had uh, an event we call the Greer Herd Point Counterpoint Lecture. We'll invite an atheist to come in and make the case for atheism alongside uh, a nationally known, not just somebody who happens to be an atheist, but a nationally known scholar and figure in atheism, and we'll bring in a nationally known uh, evangelical scholar uh, who lay out the case for belief in God and that God is real and they do that uh, on a platform in front of our seminary family anybody else who wants to come we have people come from all over the nation wow. for this we usually have three people representing each side and they model for us how do you have a conversation with people who are poles apart from where you are so we think this is important for church life it's an important life skill and relational skill is learning to not loosen your convictions but not be afraid to enter into conversation and conversation requires listening you have to really listen and understand what somebody is saying and then you have to find the best way to express well this is what i believe about that and how you do that so yes that is a very important value for us and we try to, to incorporate that into the rhythm of our church life and we think uh, ministers and missionaries will be healthier if they have an opportunity to witness and to experience how you interact with people who have convictions who are deeply different than yours that's incredible um okay we have a we have a question that we like to ask every um every guest that we have on who, who has considerable preaching experience um and that's simply this what is your most embarrassing moment in the pulpit that, that you're willing to share? What's, what's the most embarrassing experience you've had it, while preaching? Oh, gosh. Well, of course, 
bloopers are the thing that everybody has. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you talk all the time in front of people, eventually things are going to come out of your mouth that you really don't intend to come out of your mouth. One of my favorites, uh, my wife started la laughing at a point in the sermon that I didn't think was particularly funny. <laughs> and I asked her uh, later, why in the world did you start laughing at that point in the sermon? Turns out I said that God was high and exhausted on his throne <laughs> in heaven. And you know, he probably was after listening uh, to that sermon. And so, you know, you have things like that that, that happened. Uh, one night we were just moving into the, I was a young preacher boy. Uh, I was a student, still a college student, I think. And we were just moving into an invitation. And the lights went out, power went out, and the whole sanctuary is a big church, too. And I was getting ready to just go ahead and unfold the invitation. And the pastor, fortunately, was a very wise, godly man said, you know, Chuck, I think we're going to wait on the invitation until we have some power here. Why don't we just sing a stanza or two of a song and see if the power comes back so we can keep everybody safe? Well, that was a voice of wisdom and experience, mm. and it would have been a bad thing to try to continue the invitation in those circumstances. Yeah. So you learn things like that, and uh, that's how you grow. That's how you learn. I remember a, a sermon where I was preaching on hell, and I had probably said that word a hundred times. I mean, if you're preaching on it, you're going to say it quite a bit. And at the very end, uh, I'm doing the invitation. I said, if you will accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you can spend eternity with God in hell. And and I just kept rolling right through and had no, and I mean, everybody's eyes are getting big. And I'm like, and I, it finally dawned on me what, what just happened. And I go back and listen to the audio, and I was oh, that was, has to be the worst invitation ever given. Oh. So. Absolutely. Well, and those, but cheer up, you know, they can, those little bloopers and things can come in handy. I was speaking for a large state evangelism conference for youth. There were probably three or 4,000 kids that were there. We were in a civic center, hard wooden seats. And the program before me was the worst program in the history of the world for teenagers. I mean, it was absolutely awful. There was no congregational singing. There was no standing. They just had the kids sitting there for an hour, hour and a half listening to two numbers by the state youth band two numbers by the state youth chorus two numbers by the state youth ensemble two numbers by the state youth male ensemble two numbers by the state youth female ensemble two numbers by the state youth soloist male soloist two numbers by i mean just two numbers each by this parade of people with absolutely nothing for the kids to do but sit there and you can imagine teenagers sitting without moving for an hour, hour and a half with that endless parade, totally disconnected. Let's just say the natives were very restless, completely uh, unconnected to the program. And the last thing before me was the state youth drama group that was portraying the crucifixion of Jesus. And they decided they wanted to try to communicate that Christ was dying for the lost of the world. And they decided to use the metaphor of lost sheep, that Jesus was dying for the lost sheep. And as they nailed Jesus to the cross, they had one kid walking around with the poster saying, lost sheep, and every few steps he would go, Bah! Oh, no, no, no. Well, what do you think 5,000 teenagers who had not stood, sung, done anything did when that kid started saying, Bah! I mean, Jesus is being nailed to the cross, and they are rolling in the aisles with laughter. 
And my wife was sitting next to me, and she said, they're going to kill you. <laughs> and I mean, it's as tough a communication situation as, as I've ever had. And I was next, and I, the, the lights went off while they got the kids off the stage, and I went to my mark, and they turned the light on, and I had my back to the <laughs> audience. I kept my back to the audience for like four or five seconds, which was an eternity. Then I finally turned around and looked over my shoulder and said, do you mean it's finally my turn? Do I actually get to stand up and speak? Well, they all like that. And then I said, why don't we all? And I said, you know, the nice thing about being the speaker is at least you get to stand up every once in a while. And they laughed. And I said, why don't we all stand up for just a moment and stretch our legs? So they all stood up. And I'm trying to get them back uh, together. And I said, well, as you're taking your seat again, said, I have to give you a warning. Now, remember, I warned you. So it's not my fault. I warned you. <laughs> what I'm warning you about is I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. Because sometimes when you stand up to preach, things come out of your mouth that you do not intend. For instance, and I told him about the pastor in a big church in Texas who was calling his people to prayer and ask everybody to put their seat on the head in front of them. <laughs> and they laughed and said he did not intend that. And I did my high and exhausted on the throne story. They liked that. Then I said, but my all-time, this is the worst I've ever heard, was at my home church, First Baptist New Orleans, Sunday morning, full house, live television, live radio, and the minister of music was a very dignified, classic, southern gentleman kind of guy. He's introducing a guest soloist. He says that now coming to sing for us is Dr. Clint Nichols the director of our seminary, Queer. Well, <laughs> I just put my hand over my face, and the people on the front started laughing first, and it went all the way back uh, to the end, and they were all just roaring. I said, so, you see, I can't tell you exactly what I'm going to say, so you're going to have to listen and see if something unusual comes out of my mouth. Mm. And at that point, they were ready to hear my message. So those bloopers can come in handy every now and then. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, share with us uh, what God is up to right now at New Orleans uh, Seminary. Tell us what he's doing right now. Okay, right now we are uh, working very hard to make seminary accessible to anybody, anywhere that God calls. And our target is to make every program that we have available to anyone God calls anywhere in the world. So we have our residential programs that we work real hard at, just outstanding, but we also have everything from the PhD on down that's available to non-residential students. We do that through a combination of extension centers for people who are in the area of those extension centers. We have fully online programs. We do special event courses. We just use a variety of different ways so that if God has called you, wherever you are, we will find a way to fit seminary into your experience. Another you know, important thing that we are doing is engagement in ministry. We just, we, we know Southern Baptist put us here not simply to train ministers and missionaries, but to do ministry. So we are engaged uh, fully in working within our city. We have 62 students, I think, this semester working with NAM church planting efforts uh, here in the New Orleans effort. There's a alcohol and drug rehabilitation ministry across the street uh, from our campus. And if you're ever here at 6.30 or 7 in the evenings on Thursday evening 
and you're on Gentilly Boulevard, Highway 90, you'll be scared to death. You'll start seeing this massive group of people that are the toughest, roughest-looking people you've ever seen. They've got tattoos. They've got beards. They just, I mean, their hair looks disheveled. They're the roughest, toughest-looking people you've ever seen. And then you might notice they're carrying a Bible and a notebook. Mm. And they come over, and we teach them the Bible, and we teach them how to be leaders and having a transforming effect on that. We have a counseling center that ministers not only to our seminary family, but we do counseling for people in the community and just looking for those ways that we are able to touch the lives of our community. Every uh, every summer we have a program called Mission Lab that actually goes year-round when churches can call us or contact us and say, we want to have a missions experience in New Orleans. And we provide housing and food for them on the campus. And they tell us what kind of ministry they want to do. They may want to work with homeless people. They may want to do a construction project. Uh, they may want to do work with children, backyard Bible clubs or stuff. They may want to witness on the streets of the French Quarter. They tell us what they want to do. We set everything up. Uh, they come in and do ministry while they stay here on our campus. We'll have around 3,000 people or so every year who come to New Orleans to do volunteer mission work of all sorts of things as our way, again, of not simply preparing people for ministry, but engaging this seminary uh, with the city in ministry as a part of what we are doing. Awesome. We're also uh, very excited about things like our archaeology dig. We, we just concluded one of the most significant digs in Israel uh, at Tel Gezer. We were working on the water system. turned out to be one of the largest water systems of the ancient world. About to start a new dig now. And, uh, and our guys found some things at Gezer. They're going to probably rewrite some textbooks as they digest uh, what's, what they found there about a year or so ago really quite significant. We have a Center for Textual Study of the New Testament uh, in which we, our students deal with all the ancient manuscripts that have ever been found of the whole New Testament. And we've been part of an international project with scholars from all over the world creating a new edition of the Greek New Testament. That's happening right here on the campus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Not to mention the apologetics things that we're doing, expository preaching, uh, uh, a new program expository preaching so god's doing some really neat stuff that's wonderful we've really enjoyed this uh, chat and we do as much as we don't want to we need to start wrapping it up and and certainly ask our listeners to be praying for uh, new orleans for god to give wisdom and and direction and certainly for god to uh, provide as as you've heard today there's some unique challenges to being in new orleans and and perhaps similar to the unique challenges we have in New Mexico in our context here. But as much as we don't want it, it's time to jump off of the train until next time. We're grateful that you took the time to listen in today. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review so these can keep coming. You can also visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast or on Facebook under our name, Not Another Baptist Podcast. Send us out, KB. Well, until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. Thank you. Enjoy your chat. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks.